It's so good to be here this morning. I actually want to tell you a quick story. Now, this is a story about a time that God nudged me to do something really uncomfortable. (laughs) We love being uncomfortable. That's something that I've gotten used to. Um, I used to attend a small group. It was my best friend's small group that she ran, and this was at our Botany campus a few years ago. At this small group, we were focusing at the time on how to be more intentional with listening to the voice of God, right? Great thing to focus on. So what did we do? We were like, what's more intentional than setting an alarm every day? So we did that. We did. We set an alarm for midday every single day that season. And this alarm would simply remind us to say a quick prayer. This prayer is short. It's simple, but it's powerful. And it was, God, use me. God, use me. That's all. Our alarm went off and we said, God, use me. And then every time that we felt then God nudge us that day to maybe reach out and bless someone or speak to someone or notice people who were in need, we would go up to them and then sprinkle holy water on them. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. We didn't do that. We would actually just, amen. We'd ribbon dance around them. No, let's not go there. Um, I... (laughs) We um, would just say a bit of, an, we'd say this intentional prayer and then we'd go, okay, God, how do I potentially bring you up in this conversation? How can I let them know that it's because of your love that they are being loved on, right? So we'd be a bit more intentional in planting a seed of hope, if you will. <laughs> now, if there's one thing that you should know about me, it's that I'm not always the best at being on time for things. Don't laugh at me, okay? We're all Christians in the room. We can be forgiving. I'm not always the best at being on time. I'm quite often late to things. And so whenever this alarm on my phone would go off at midday, did I always pray that prayer at midday? (laughs) No. This one particular time, I um, actually was... (laughs) I was on my way to small group and I was just about to turn onto the street. I was actually about 50 meters away from turning onto the street and it dawned on me. I was like, I haven't said the the three word, you know, the magical three word prayer. So I just quickly, I was like, I've got time. I've got about 10 seconds before I pull up in the driveway. So I was like, God, use me. Amen. Okay. Did I do that just so when they brought up the discussion at small group, I would be able to tick the box and be like, yeah, yeah, I prayed the prayer, nothing really came up. I, I, I did, I did, right? I, that was totally my intention behind it. But at this moment, God had another plan, right? I noticed all of a sudden there was a lady on my left as I was about to turn onto the street. She was an older lady and she had like three or four heavy um, grocery bags in her arms, right? She looked like she was struggling a little bit, but that's not normal to like, you know, pull over and offer someone a ride. And I just felt like God nudged me. And he goes, give the lady a ride. Sorry, what, God? Can't can't hear you over my music. Sorry. And so I was like, um, what? Sorry, what? And he goes, give her a ride. He goes, you just prayed for me to use you, but will you listen? I was challenged by that. At this point, I was like, God, that's awkward. Um, This is weird. But I did pray that, and I feel bad at this point, right? I had pulled over. I had pulled into, not over right there. I had pulled into the street. I had parked in a driveway, and I was having this internal battle with God, right? I was like, God, 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 God. This is what any good Christian does, right? They negotiate. God, God. If she, I looked in my rearview mirror, and I could see that she was about to cross the road. And I was like, God, if she turns onto this street, then I'll offer her a ride home. She turned onto the street. I was like, okay, God, okay. But now it's just going to be too awkward. I can't do it anymore. I can't give her a ride because this is her street. And so I, I kind of thought that I had checkmated God here. So the, uh, big mistake. And so God was just like, no, no. And so at this point I was like, okay, get over yourself, Shemaine. 
offer the lady a ride. And I did, because it was kind of past the point of no return at this point. I was pulled into a driveway and she had turned onto the street. This all happened so quick. I didn't know what to do. I wish I could plan that improv moment. I was just like this. I waved <laughs> to a stranger. <laughs> and she kind of looked at me like, is this lady okay? <laughs> and I just sat there in a driveway as she was about to walk past my car waving at her. And I'm having this internal battle with God. I'm going, God, I look like an idiot. God, she's not going to get in my car. Who the heck offers a stranger a ride home? And then so I'm winding down my window and she comes up to my window and she's like, are you, are you okay? <laughs> And I was just like, I, yeah, uh, hi, do you need a ride home? <laughs> this 40-year-old lady jumps in my car, right? She jumps into my car. She's like, oh, can I put my grocery bags in your back seat? And I was like, yeah, 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 go for it. In my head, I'm now trying to backtrack going, okay, God, okay, God, how can I be intentional with bringing you into the conversation? I'm not going to be like, hi, what's your address? Okay, so do you know Jesus? <laughs> so I was like, um... How do I do this, God? So she gets into my car, and essentially, long story short, what should have been a 10-second drive home here actually turned into a half-hour conversation. She sat and she told me her life story. I, I actually prayed to God really quickly. I was like, God, help me. I don't know how to bring you into this conversation. And she started the conversation. She goes, um, I hope I'm not um, interrupting, you know, I, ho I hope I'm not interrupting where you're going. And I was like, jackpot. I was like... <laughs> oh, don't worry about it, I'm just going to small group. And she's like, oh, what's a small group? I was like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> and then so I just said to her, oh, a small group is a part of a church that I go to. It's kind of like a midweek initiative where we get together, da-da-da-da-da, hence starting this conversation. The lady then goes on to tell me for half an hour the story of how for years and years and years, since she moved to New Zealand from England with a young family, she, <laughs> whoop, whoop, England, she, um, she felt and she carried this guilt that actually stopped her from going to church, right? The guilt was because she didn't raise her older children. Oh, she raised her older children in church back in England. But by the time she had come to New Zealand, her younger kids, she just she had was out of church by that point, And her younger kids, she didn't raise in church. And because of the guilt that she carried, they had never been to church. She had never stepped foot in church. And she started having this conversation with me about how every time, though, she, stopped, she stepped foot into church, she felt freedom. She felt like God had lifted burdens off her shoulders. She felt like regardless of the fact that she shouldn't be there or felt like she would be set on flames or whatever it was, she said that every single time she stepped into church, she walked out feeling lighter. She walked out feeling encouraged. And I so, so I just sat there with her and I encouraged her and I you know, said to her, it's never too late. And these are some churches that I know are really awesome in the area. And that was a cool conversation. At the end of this conversation, she stopped and asked me a question that I will never forget. It was quite comical. <laughs> she said to me, before you leave, I need to ask you a quick question. And I said to her, yeah, sure, what, what's up? And she goes, are you an angel? <laughs> In my head, I was like, far from it, lady. <laughs> but... but it was quite funny. She, I, what I thought was funny, I kind of laughed in, in her face, and that was a little bit rude. Um, she, had said, she had said, are you an angel? And I laughed, and I said, no, definitely not. I'm, if anything, I was like in this big you know, debate with God about how awkward this was. So I was like, I'm definitely not an angel lady. And she continues to tell me with tears welling up in her eyes a prayer that she had prayed about 10 seconds before I pulled over. She had said... As she was walking on the main street of that road, before she turned onto the street, she said, 
I actually prayed as I was walking for the first time in years. And I said, God, if you are real and if you can hear me, make someone pull over and drop me home, even though I'm on my own street. (laughs) Here I was. Here I was having this massive debate with God. I was like, God, this is too awkward. This is every reason why I shouldn't do it. And she was actually praying, God, if you're real, would you make someone just pick me up? How easy would it have been for me in this moment to have missed the opportunity to be used by God, right? How easy would it have been, in other words, for me to actually pray, your kingdom come, God, your kingdom come, but my will be done. Interesting, hey? And so in that sense, I have a question for you. I feel like a lot of you will be able to relate to this question. And the question is this, has God ever nudged you to do something that made you feel uncomfortable? So uncomfortable that you get into that place that you go, no, 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 Lord. No, no, Lord. That's not you. That can't be you, God. Turn your music up. (laughs) I can't hear you, God. Has God ever nudged you to maybe step out and forgive someone who hurt you really bad? Could be tugging on a few heartstrings. Has God ever nudged you to give a certain amount of money to somebody that to help them financially or whatever it was, even when you feel like maybe it's a bit out of your depth? Has God ever nudged you like he did to me, perhaps, to pick up a stranger and drop them home and to have a conversation about him? I'm not sure what God has nudged you on in the past, but it's funny how God tends to answer these prayers that we don't actually want him to answer. What I've come to actually learn over the years, though, is the fact that the This is because the call of God is often the exact opposite of what we feel like doing. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. If you are familiar with the book of Jonah, you will know that it is this very concept in a nutshell. Jonah, (laughs) God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And essentially, Jonah runs in the opposite direction. It was something that he felt he didn't want to do. It was something that made him run in the exact opposite direction. And what was his response? Running away. Sounds familiar? I've been there. I've done that one. You see, growing up, I had this story read to me as a child, as a bedtime story, right? And my five-year-old Shemaine perception of the story of Jonah was this. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah goes, oh, no, God, it's too hard. I don't want to do it. Put it in the too hard basket. And then just runs in the opposite direction. So then God sends a big whale to swallow Jonah as punishment. A lot of people think this. But what I actually realized is that it wasn't until I was an adult that I reread the story and realized that what I thought was punishment was actually God's grace. Let me unpack the story a little bit for you. Jonah was an Israelite prophet. This gives you a bit of context here. So a prophet is a person who hears directly from God and then passes on that message, right? Delivers the message that God's given them. God told Jonah to go to a place called Nineveh. Um, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria at the time. So Assyria today is known as northern Iraq, okay? And the Assyrians were the enemies of the Israelites, the sworn enemies. They had killed many of Jonah's people. Interesting. And so God had told him, go to Nineveh and deliver this message. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Just your, just your casual, lighthearted, lighthearted encouragement to go and deliver to enemies' territory, right? 
So what we need to understand here is that because Jonah was an Israelite, he was one of God's chosen people. And with the Assyrians being his sworn enemies, the reason why Jonah ran in the opposite direction wasn't because it was too hard. It was actually because he said to God, he was thinking, they don't deserve your grace. They are horrible. They're our enemies. They've killed so many of our people. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Because Jonah knew that in his heart of hearts, if he goes and says, in 40 days, you will be destroyed, then the people of Nineveh then had an opportunity. There was a time period for them to then turn from their ways and come back to God, right? And Jonah was actually overriding that decision of God's and going, they don't deserve that, God. They're too far from you. They're too far gone. They're too evil. They're too sinful. So I'm not going to do it. Interesting. Jonah, now very reluctant to respond to this call of God, instead decides to slip away. He tries to disappear off the face of the earth. What my students at school tell me that this is called today, 21st century, is ghosting, if you've ever heard of that concept, right? You, you Gen Zers over there, you'll, you'll get that one. Um, so Jonah tries to ghost this process where God's actually calling him to do it. He jumps on a ship going in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. The ship is heading to a place called Tarshish. Tarshish is off the, skirts, the outskirts of Spain, right? Um, while the ship is out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, God sends a powerful storm that the sailors of the ship, very skillful sailors at that, they cannot handle. So they're completely thrown by the storm and they start praying now to all of their different gods going, God, whatever their God's names were, you know, would you stop the storm? Would you stop this? And go figure, the storm continued to rage on. Awkward moment for them. Jonah, meanwhile, Jonah, meanwhile, is asleep in the hull of the ship. The captain of the ship, through process of elimination, finds Jonah and then goes, who are you? Where do you come from? He questions him and says, who do you serve? Jonah then eventually admits, I serve the God of Israel, and I know that he is the God who sent the storm. So they're all like, where have you been all this time? So then he says, the way to then stop the storm is to throw me overboard right? Jonah's still stubborn. He's refusing the call of God. He didn't need to be thrown overboard, but he did, right? Because he would not listen to God. So he said, the way to stop the storm is to throw me overboard. The sailors now do everything in their might to not do that because they see the vast storm ahead of them and they go, no, no, no. If we throw you overboard, you're going to die and your God will then punish us. So they do everything in their might to not throw Jonah overboard, but nothing they do will stop the storm. They eventually... Long story short, Jonah got the boot. He gets thrown overboard. And then the moment, the Bible says, the moment that he, where am I up to? The moment that he touches the waters, the storm calmed down at once. Note this though. The sailors on board, I love this. After seeing this firsthand, they see God's extreme sovereignty here over his creation. They see that firsthand. And as soon as the storms stop, as soon as Jonah touches the water, pardon me, he all of the sailors now stop, they repent, and they turn to actually serve the God of Israel in that moment. How insane is that? It blows my mind that even in Jonah's disobedience, God still uses him to save the lost. Even in his disobedience, God still uses him to save the lost. Just let that sink in for a second. Speaking of sinking in, this is now where Jonah is at, right? His current circumstance, he's in the waters, right? He's sinking to the bottom. 
Thank you. <laughs> he is... The storm has now ceased, and yet Jonah is still so stubborn, he still will not, he refuses to answer the call of God, that he is now sinking instead to the bottom of the ocean, right? This is the point here where the big fish comes along. This is where the fish steps in, and what is so easily misrepresented in the story of Jonah as God's punishment is actually, in actual fact, God's grace in disguise, So Jonah sinks to the bottom of this ocean, and before he has one of his final breaths, he's then swallowed by this fish, right? He cannot escape what God wants him to do. It swallows Jonah just before his last breath, and then Jonah stays in the fish's stomach for three days and three nights. Seems to be a bit of a pattern here if you know how long Jesus was in the tomb before he was resurrected. You see, Jonah didn't deserve to be saved In this moment, technically, he was sinful. He was running from God, especially in this rebellion. He didn't deserve it. But the beautiful thing is that none of us deserve God's grace. We're all sinners. We're all running from God in some way. And so in that sense, it's actually quite um, beautiful that God still chooses to extend this grace out to us. Fast forward three days. Jonah is finally, he's finally come to this point in the belly of the fish where he is confronted with this call of God. And he goes, fine, God fine, fine, I'll do it. And he actually prays a really beautiful prayer if you read chapter two. What happens there is then the fish vomits him up on the shores of Nineveh of all places. Go figure, that's awesome. Um, Vomits him up on the shores of Nineveh and then Jonah delivers God's message. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. What happens here? The Ninevites, the Assyrians, they turn to God, they repent. And what does God do? He forgives them. But who is left bitter about the whole situation? Jonah. There are many things that this whole story of Jonah can actually teach us. First of all, the the sovereignty of God over his creation, the extreme grace of God and the depth that he would go to to save a lost soul. But actually the one that I felt like God had put on my heart this morning to share with you and to unpack together, church, is actually the fact that Jonah teaches us That the call of God is often the exact opposite of what we feel like doing, but still it is worth accepting. That's a beautiful lesson that Jonah teaches us. How do we learn this lesson? I've got a couple of ideas here. My first thought, and it's in your notes, is that we can replace struggle with surrender. Replace struggle with surrender. I'll give you a moment to write that one down. You see, we're all human. It's quite normal to want to have this control, control over over what we do, control over where we're going, control over what next year looks like for us. But actually, when we have this control and this intense need to be in control, that's actually what creates a bit of a power struggle between us and God. Darcy, can I steal you for a second? You see, this is what we've gotten way too good at. God, thank you for all that you've given me. Thank you for all that you've entrusted me with. Thank you for all that I have control over. But, but God, God, your will, your will be done. Your will be done. 
but God, I'm, I'm just really struggling with my family stuff at the moment. Uh, and, and my career is getting a little bit hard. Um, but God, I actually, actually, I'm really confused about what's going on next year. Um, God, my finances are getting pretty tight. I, I don't know how I can really fit in all of my commitments here, God. But just, and then we get to this point where we go, God, God, why is my life so out of control? And we get offended, right? God, I can't seem, I'm so out of my depth. Why am I so out of control, God? But can I challenge you this morning? Can I challenge us this morning? Because this is definitely something that I struggle with too. Are we actually praying your will be done? Or are we praying your kingdom come, my will be done? Are we actually struggling with this whole idea of control or being able to control our circumstances because we're trying to do things in our own strength, church? We're trying to carry all of these burdens ourselves. And actually the answer here is to replace our struggle with surrender and surrender that control to God. Thank you, Das. If we look back at Jonah's prayer in chapter two from inside the fish's belly, this is in your notes and you can follow along. He says, when I felt my life slipping away, Note the timing here. When I felt my life slipping away, then, O Lord, I prayed to you, and in your holy temple you heard me. Then, O Lord, I prayed to you. You see, church, my encouragement to you this morning is that we don't have to struggle like Jonah did. Not to that extent. We don't have to struggle like that if we learn from Jonah's mistakes. But even if you don't learn from Jonah's mistakes, God will still meet you in the depth of your struggle. God will still hear you from his throne room in heaven like Jonah prays, and he will still meet you exactly where you're at. That's the beautiful thing about the grace of God. I read this quote in a book once, and I just felt like it perfectly encapsulated this whole concept. It says this, there is only victory in surrender, interesting, when you are conquered by Christ. Don't let that pass you by this morning. Actually take a moment to think about it. You see, for us, when we think of surrender, right? You surrender and then you lose. You surrender, you throw the towel in and it's game over. I've lost. They've won. I surrendered. White flag. It's out of my control, right? But actually in God's economy, when we surrender, it's a win-win situation because he's the one that's in control there. Can I read this to you one more time? There is only victory in surrender when you are conquered by Christ. The second way that we can choose to say yes to the call of God this morning is to replace our feelings with faith. Write that one down. Replace feelings with faith. This is a really interesting point to break down. You see, we know already that Jonah initially ran away from the call of God because he felt like the People of Nineveh didn't deserve his grace, right? But what I really, really love about Jonah is that despite feeling so deeply about his enemies, he actually chose to replace, he actively replaced that feeling with faith that God's plan needed to be partnered with him in order to be carried out, right? In Jonah chapter 3, verses 3 to 4, it says, So Jonah obeyed the Lord. That in itself seems to be a miracle at this point. So Jonah obeyed the Lord and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to walk through it. Jonah started through the city, and after walking a whole day, he proclaimed. This would have been hard to say. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. 
when we begin to understand the context behind some words on paper, right? I don't know about you, but I know I start to actually feel the feelings that the characters are feeling. Can I quickly remind you of what Jonah might have been feeling in that moment? Exhibit A, exhausted. He's just come off the back of this three-day struggle, longer than three days because he was on the ship prior to that, and running, actively running away from God. He would have been exhausted when he was now in Nineveh, and he was feeling completely, completely at his you know, wit's end. He was exhausted. Another feeling, Exhibit B, would have been that he was feeling terrified. He's currently, let me remind you, in enemy territory, right? These people have killed many of his people. He would have probably thought, as soon as I tell them that they're about to be destroyed, I'm going to get shot down. My, my head will get chopped off, whatever it is. He's going knowing that. He would have been terrified where he is, but he still replaced his feelings with that faith, right? Exhibit C here, he would have felt bitter. Because remembering the word that he's giving, even though he's saying, yes, you'll be destroyed in 40 days, he knows in his heart of hearts that if the people of Nineveh choose to then repent, choose to turn to God, that God will be merciful to his enemies. So he's probably standing there going, yeah, you're all going to be destroyed, but he's feeling bitter about it. What I love is that Jonah, no doubt, he feels the depth of these feelings but he actually chooses to replace that feeling with faith in God's plan. What Jonah didn't know at this point was the fact that the three days and three nights that he just spent in isolation, they were actually a foreshadowing of the three days and three nights that Jesus would, um, after he died and before he was resurrected, those three days and three nights. In Matthew chapter 12, later on, um, Jesus is challenged by some Pharisees and the Pharisees are saying to him, well, if you truly are Lord, then then show us, show us prophecies, show us signs of the times that will prove that that is. And Jesus actually refers back to this exact story of Jonah here. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 that Jonah, his isolation for three days and three nights, these are actually a foreshadowing. They are a sign of what is to come. That's what he says. Nothing we do, church, in God's economy is ever wasted. Nothing we do in God's economy is ever wasted. There's always a bigger picture. There's always something that we can place our hope in, knowing that when we place our hope in God, He will actually carry out His plan and that will always work out for our good. In Romans chapter 8, verses 24 to 25, this is the Passion Translation that's in your notes. It's a beautiful, beautiful translation, and it says this, But hope means that we must trust and wait for what is unseen. For why would we need to hope for something that we already have? Example, if I had my cup of Earl Grey right now, I wouldn't have to hope for it because it was right in front of me, right? Just putting that one out there, Frosty. You can make me one after the service. So because our hope, because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. I love the way that the Passion Translation words that. My third and final way that we can choose to say yes to the call of God this morning is that we can replace our pride, that's a tough one, we can replace our pride with perspective. Why don't you write that one down? This one's quite funny. So after Jonah then delivers this message to the city of Nineveh, he walks outside the city walls, sits down, and he packs a sad. He's like, God... 
And this is where we see the dialogue with God here is where we actually start to see um, his pride surface. He starts to have this conversation. (laughs) And we get a glimpse into exactly what he's thinking. Now, the drama teacher in me, I teach drama, by the way, if you don't know that. The drama teacher in me is going to step into character for a moment. And I want to read this. (laughs) I was just going to make a joke, and I will not make that joke on stage. I want to read this like I imagine Jonah would actually pray that prayer, okay? In Jonah chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, it says here, So he prayed, Lord, didn't I say before I left home that this is what you would do? That's why I did my best to run away to Spain. (laughs) Go figure. I knew that you were a loving and merciful God. Interesting that he's mad about that. Always patient, always kind, always, always ready to change your mind and not punish. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I know I have. Interesting that he's so angry. But then this is where the perspective comes in. Oh, he actually says at the end of that prayer, gosh, he's in this mindset. He goes, now then, Lord, just let me die. Just let me die. I would be better off dead than alive, right? This is how far he is buried in his pride. He just goes, you know what, God? You, you made me do that, and I knew that you would forgive them, so just let me die. I'm done. I'm done with you. I'm done with this. I'm out. Throw in the red flag. And he actually says, God shifts his perspective here, and it says, the Lord answered, what right do you have to be angry? Great challenge. What right do you have to be angry? You know how people often laugh in church because you can relate to a point on a really deep level? (laughs) If I was sitting in the audience, this would definitely be the point that I was laughing at. I have prayed prayers like this where I've sat down and I've packed a sad and I've gone, God, why? Why did that need to happen? God, why now? Why me? Why this situation, God? And I've been so mad, but it's beautiful because God can handle your emotions. He created you. Um, I've been so mad at God at points that I just said, God, why? But then he shifts my perspective so easily by just saying, hold on a second, Shemaine. Can I just remind you of a prayer that you prayed? You've recently prayed, um, God, your will and not mine. Oh, that's interesting. Haven't you prayed prayers along the lines of, oh, if, if that isn't the right path for me, then God shut the door. Actually, no, don't just shut it. Slam it. Slam it, God. I don't want that if that is your will. And then he reminds me of these when I get mad that he actually slams those doors, you know? And so now I'm sitting here packing a sad going, God, why? And he's going, no, no. This is actually the situation here. Are you getting mad at me because I've answered your prayers? And I went, oh. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm getting mad at you because you've answered my prayers, God. And then it's not until I actually say that out loud that I realize how much of a toddler I sound like. I'm like, yeah, 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 God, I'm mad. I'm mad because you're faithful to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> hold on, hold on a second, God, give me some time. What we can learn here, though, is to actually love the correction that comes from God. Jonah, this was something that Jonah really struggled with. See, in his stubbornness, in his pride, he actually really struggled to push past that and to see that God's plan has always been and always will be to reconcile the lost with him, to reconcile sinners with a savior. And that plan is so much more important than what Jonah felt in that moment. 
if you understand where I'm getting at. I love, I love, I love the way that this is worded here. <clears throat> and keys, you can join me now. The verse in your notes is from Hebrews. It's from chapter 12, verses 7 to 8. And it is the Passion Translation again. I love this translation. It says, Fully embrace God's correction as a part of your training, for he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For have you ever heard of a child who has never had to be corrected? No. We all should welcome God's discipline and get this as the validation of authentic sonship. We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured this correction, it only proves that we are strangers and not sons. I love that. I can't help but think here of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the place where he went to pray. He withdrew to pray three times in the same night, the night before he was then sent to the cross to be crucified. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus then gets on his knees and he cries out to God. This is the moment where we see Jesus in his most human form. He is so vulnerable, so real, so raw, and it's the most beautiful thing. He says here, Lord, take this cup from me. Lord, take this cup from me. Or in other words, God, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. What I have to do tomorrow on that cross, it is too hard. He goes back and prays that prayer three times. But then what is arguably the most powerful prayer that he could then follow through with is he prays this. He prays, but Father, your will be done and not mine. Your will be done and not mine. This is the place where Jesus himself chose to replace his struggle with surrender. The Garden of Gethsemane right here, this is where Jesus chose to replace his feelings with faith in God's plan. This is actually the same place that he also doesn't allow pride to now creep in. He doesn't allow the God in himself to then override the decision. He doesn't let that happen. But instead, he goes straight to God and says, lift my perspective higher. Let me see this from a heavenly perspective. And I feel like God has placed three different groups of people on my heart that I really would love to pray over this morning. 